15, he starts off with a, uh, a little bit of a different intro, if I could say it that way. He says this, The horse leech hath two daughters, crying, Give, give. And I, I kind of wrote that down as a, an introduction, really, to, uh, to the first point, which is the unsatisfied results of sin. Uh, obviously, we see unsatisfaction here as he looks there at the end, and he, at the end of verse 15, he says, There are three things that are never satisfied, yea, four things say not, it is enough. And he, and he starts it in verse number 15 with a horse leech, with a bad connotation. Uh, and so this word horse leech is only used one time in the Bible. So there's your trivia. Uh, you ever come across trivia? It says, where's horse leech used? Uh, you can say Proverbs 30, 15. That's the only place it shows up in the Bible. Um, but what is, what is a horse leech? What is he talking about in this passage? Well, a horse leech is basically uh, a leech is a parasite. And, uh, and horses in the Middle East, I'm told, uh, are more prone to get a, a, a leech when they go to a watering hole and, and drink out of that watering hole, the leech would attach itself to their lip or even in their nose as they're drinking out of that water. And, uh, and it's quite a, a problem for horses, at least in Bible times. And, uh, and the whole idea of that horse leech is basically is that it's a parasite. And a parasite needs another living organism uh, to, to live itself. It's, pull, it's pulling the life from that horse or from whatever animal or whatever creature that it's attached itself to. And it basically speaks of a desire that cannot be satisfied. In other words, a horse leech uh, or a leech in general or a parasite will feed and will feed and will feed uh, off of you uh, until it's either so full that it cannot take anymore and it will fall off uh, until it's ready to uh, latch onto another creature and, and then continue taking. But uh, the idea is that it will take and take and take. And so he starts off this, this section with, The horse leech hath two daughters crying, <clears throat> And crying, give, give. And the whole idea is that uh, these are things that will take and will take with absolutely no regard to the life that it's taking from. <coughs> Excuse me. And so we can see that here, uh, that, that, there are, there, that the idea is that it will take and there's no satisfaction there. Um, and, and as we look at these next Two verses, he says there in, in verse 15, the second part rather, he says there are three things that are never satisfied, yea, four things say not it is enough. And he gives us four examples of things that are not satisfied. And uh, as I was looking at these, I, uh, I started thinking about these a little bit. And, and look with me, the first one, he says, uh, the grave is not satisfied. Uh, you think about that. And I was looking at that and thinking about that. And what is a grave? A grave basically is where you put uh, somebody who has passed away. You'll put them in a grave. And, uh, and, and as you think about that, think of this. You know what the world population is today? I looked it up today just because I was curious and I, I figured I knew roughly where it was. It's almost 8 billion people on the planet Earth today. I can't even begin to wrap my head around that. I mean, I, that's just, that's, a, that's an outrageous number for me. But 
I, I don't doubt it. I believe it's true. And as I was looking at that, I thought, how many people die in the world every day? And so I looked that up. I thought, well, there must be some facts on that. And, uh, and sure enough, um, actually, I think it was a hundred and, and I don't have it written down here, 150,000 people die every single day. And, uh, and I wrote down the number here that it says that 57 million people die in one year. Now, that's, that's pretty astounding, to be honest with you. Between 2015 and 2020, uh, this stat said that 286 million people had died. Now, you think 286 million people being buried. Now, that's only in a five-year period. Now, of course, there's births as well. The births were doubled uh, of that of, of the deaths. So, uh, so deaths were 150,000 a day, if I remember properly. And then births were roughly, they were a little under 300,000 a day. So, so twice as many people are being born as are dying, roughly. Uh, but, but you think about this. That's why we're not running out of population. That's why our population is growing. But, uh, but you think about this. Uh, you think about in, in a five-year span, uh, 286 million people that have died. That's only in five years. You start thinking about this, the fact that the world is roughly about 6,000 years old. Now, you think how many people have died. And I have no clue. There's no way to calculate a number. You can't take that number and go backwards because the population was less, especially in the days of Noah, okay? After the flood, there was only uh, six, eight people left on the earth. So uh, you know that 150,000 people didn't die in a day because there was only eight people on the world. And so, uh, so but as the population expanded, uh, then that number would grow numerically. But my point is this, as you bury people and bury people and bury people, uh, the earth's not getting any bigger. What happens? Well, they just decompose. They go back to the earth. They turn back into the earth. And, and you think about uh, the fact that, hey, you can bury 150,000 people every single day, and, uh, and there's still room to bury people. You can bury... Um, you can bury 57 million people in a year and there's still room to bury people. You can bury 286 million people in five years and there's still room to bury people. And the point is that the earth or the grave uh, is, is never satisfied. In other words, hey, you can still continue to bury and bury and bury people. And, uh, and death is a nonstop consumer and the grave will never be filled. That's what he's saying with this idea. It's an illustration to help us understand, hey, that, that something that we can understand is that people die, but it's never satisfied. He says this in verse 16. He said, not only the grave, but the barren womb. There's many Bible examples of uh, barren women uh, that, are, that are in the Bible. Matter of fact, it's interesting because Sarah, uh, that was God's promised uh, seed would come through Sarah. She was barren until she was 90-some years old before she had her first child. You know what? Uh, Rachel was also barren. Rebecca was also barren. Hannah, uh, Samuel's mother, was also barren. And then Elizabeth in the New Testament, uh, John the Baptist's mom, was also barren. And there's example after example after example of barren women in the Bible, and each one of them, it is a reproach in Bible times to be barren, and these women cried out to God and were not satisfied without a child. 
And so the Bible says here, our illustration that it gives is that a barren womb is not satisfied. In other words, uh, a lady that would like to have a baby and is not able to. And, uh, and there's plenty of examples throughout the Bible of that. And we're talking about things that are not satisfied. And these women cried out to God. They were not satisfied with anything else. They wanted a child. And so we find that a barren womb also is not satisfied. What else? The earth that is not filled with water. Um, dry earth. There's land that you keep dumping water on. In Italy, we had those trees, and uh, the, I found out we were supposed to water them, so I uh, made my kids go out with a five-gallon bucket and dump a five-gallon bucket of water on them every day and go from this tree, five gallons, that tree, five gallons, that tree, five gallons, and, and you know what? You dump that five-gallon bucket on that tree, and it just goes into the ground, and, and it like you could have dumped another five-gallon. You could have dumped another five gallons and it would have just kept absorbing into the ground. Why? Because the ground is not full. There's lots of places where the dirt, it, it'll, just, uh, it'll just take all the water that you can give it. And, uh, and so it just soaks it up. And then he gives another, another illustration. He says fire. Um, now this one I liked because it's really easy to see and understand. Uh, if you start a fire, the more that you add to that fire, the bigger the fire is going to get. And, and the more you put on it, it's just going to consume. I'm often amazed I'll have a fire in the wood stove or a fire in the fireplace or even outside. And, and you put these big logs in there. And, and by morning, there's nothing but a little bit of ash. It consumes everything that is flammable that you would stick in it. It will consume it and it will not stop until it's absolutely consumed and it's not satisfied. And as we think about all of that, he's talking about the unsatisfied results, uh, and I think of sin, because look with me at verse number 17, and we're going to tie verse 17 back up into verse 15 and 16. He says this, The eye that mocketh at his father and despiseth to obey his mother, the ravens of the valley shall pick it out, and the young eagles shall eat it. I'll never forget uh, a message I heard on that a long, long time ago, and, uh, and, and the, the preacher was funny, and he kept acting like an eagle, and he'd come down, he's preaching to a bunch of teenagers, he'd come down, and, and he'd go right up to them, and he'd go to, go to grab their eye, you know, and he said, he's going to pull it right out of your head, and, uh, and it was very illustrative, but the idea there uh, that, that, was gotten, that has been gotten across is the Bible says there in verse 17, the eye that mocketh at his father. In other words, some, somebody that, uh, that, that doesn't um, respect the authority of their father. We have two things here. The father and mother are both mentioned. And uh, the father would stand for the authority and the mother would often stand for the affection. And, uh, and so this, this I would mock the authority of their father and say, hey, I'm not going to do that and I'm not going to listen to it. Matter of fact, they would make fun of it. And they're not satisfied, they're not, or they, they think, well, that I know better than the authority of my father. And, uh, and even the affection, he says here in the, the second part, despiseth to obey his mother. And, uh, and he, it's not, uh, he's not concerned with, uh, with obeying his mother. He's not concerned with the authority of his father. And, uh, and the idea is that uh, the Bible says the ravens of the valley shall pick it out. It's talking about the eye. And the young eagles shall eat it. And, and he'll die 
this person that mocks their parents and, and does not obey their parents will die a death that is unsatisfied in life. In other words, they'll always think, well, I know better. They always think, well, uh, I, I'm not, I don't care what my parents say. Uh, they don't know. They don't, uh, they're old and they don't live in this generation. And, uh, and they'll always do whatever they need to do to, to put off what their parents say. And, uh, and they're not satisfied uh, with what their parents say. And eventually, they'll die a life. They'll live a life and they'll die really unsatisfied in the world. Because the world has duped them into believing, oh, your parents don't know what they're talking about. Your parents aren't, don't understand. And, and they've swallowed the lies of the world, and, and, and they'll, they'll, maybe they'll come to their senses, hopefully they'll come to their senses and realize, man, I, this stuff doesn't satisfy uh, that's in the world. And, uh, and, and hopefully they'll, they'll understand that. But if not, uh, then, man, the end there is certainly not a positive note that it ends on uh, because it says there, the ravens of the valley shall pick it out, talking about his eyes, and the young eagles shall eat it. And so we find that, uh, that, that sin will leave people unsatisfied in this life. And he's talking about things that cannot be satisfied. He gives several illustrations and he talks about how they're uh, kind of a horse leech that would uh, latch on to our life and really suck the life out of us. And, uh, and so we see that in those verses. Go with me to the next set, verse number 18. It says, there be three things which are too wonderful for me, yea, four which I know not. And when I, when I read verse 18, you would think, well, he's going to a positive side of things. But when he ends it, he ends it on a, uh, a negative note. So look with me at verse number 19. He says, the way of an eagle in the air, the way of a serpent upon a rock, the way of a ship in the midst of the sea, and the way of a man with a maid. Then he goes on in verse 20 and he says, Such is the way of an adulterous woman. She eateth and wipeth her mouth and saith, I have done no wickedness. As we read those, uh, I think in his idea of wonderful, uh, they would be something that uh, he does not necessarily understand. And Agur is saying, uh, there's some things that I don't understand, or maybe perhaps you could say it this way, there's an untraceable route. If you think about the thing that all of those tie together there as the examples, uh, he gives an eagle. You can't see where an eagle has flown. You, you watch an eagle fly through the sky and you can tell, well, he was there, but, uh, but you don't know. There's no trace. There's no way to track the way an eagle has flown through the air. He says there, the next example is a serpent, and he's careful to point out, upon a rock. And uh, again, uh, a serpent on a rock is not going to leave any track. He's not going to leave any trace. Uh, if you live in the deserts and you watch them, uh, I'm always intrigued by nature. And so, uh, so you, you, can, you can tell a sidewinder's tracks through the sand because uh, it kind of goes sideways. And he doesn't leave a path like you would think. His path is kind of side, it's a sidewinder. And so he leaves a path in the sand. But on, the, on a stone and on a rock, uh, I've seen plenty of snakes. They don't leave any trace on, the, on a rock. Uh, you can't tell that they were there. They just go and they, they'll go right across there and you'll never know uh, the path that they took. There's no way to track them. 
So you can't track an eagle, you can't track a serpent on a stone, and then a ship in the sea is his next example. And, uh, and again, uh, a ship that would sail through the sea, thinking of the old times with the sails, uh, really after that thing is gone, there's not much uh, track that's left. I mean, motorboats, yeah, they leave a wake. And, uh, and when you go through there, boy, there'll be lots of waves, and you can tell, well, there's that, well that's where that motorboat went. But on a sailboat... I don't know that they have that. I mean, they're not propelled by that motor. Uh, and so, uh, so he's saying, hey, uh, uh, the way a sailboat would move through the midst of the sea, uh, it's too wonderful for me. I don't see it. I don't understand uh, how it would work and how it would move and, and where it has been. And then he goes on to the last one and he says, and the way of a man with a maid. And so he's talking about the chemistry between a man and a woman. And, uh, and, a, and a, a man with a maid. And, and sometimes you look at people and you say, well, how on earth, uh, what on earth did that lady ever see in that guy? And you say, man, that doesn't make sense. And, uh, and you can't see the chemistry always that takes place and you can't track it and you can't trace it. And so he's got some untraceable uh, things that cannot be seen or maybe cannot be completely understood in the way that they function or the way that they work. But at the same time, we know that they exist and they're there. And uh, as he goes down to verse 20, I think he ties that back up into it, that it's sin. And he talks specifically about adultery is like that. He says there in verse number 20, Such is the way of an adulterous woman. She eateth and wipeth her mouth and saith, I have done no wickedness. You could say the same thing in verse number 19, uh, the way of a man with a maid. In other words, that it would be an adulterous man. Uh, or in verse 20, an adulterous woman. But nonetheless, uh, it's something that is concealed. Save your spot here in Proverbs and go back with me to Proverbs chapter number 5. We covered this a long time ago when we were in Proverbs 5. And I just want to read these few verses. We'll not cover it extensively, but I, I, I thought there's the, it ties right into this. He says in Proverbs chapter 5 and verse number 1, and again, this is back in the portion where uh, Solomon is writing as a father to a son. And you'll see, he says in verse number one, my son. And so he's giving instruction to his son out of a, a compassionate heart. He says, my son, attend unto my wisdom and bow thine ear to mine understanding, that thou mayest regard discretion and that thy lips may keep knowledge. For the lips of a strange woman drop as an honeycomb and her mouth is smoother than oil, but her end is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps take hold on hell. Lest thou shouldest ponder the path of her of life. Her ways are movable that thou canst not know them. Boy, and that's what he's talking about in Proverbs chapter 30 and verse number uh, 19. He's saying the way of an eagle in the air, the way of a serpent upon a rock, the way of a sheep, uh, ship in the midst of the sea, the way of a man with a maid, and her ways are movable that thou canst not know of them. Uh, and sin is often hidden to other people, especially uh, in, the, in the idea of adultery that's being dealt with here in Proverbs 30 and verse number 20. Uh, and, and it's often covered up and it often goes unknown to many people, uh, but an eager is saying, listen, I don't always see it. I don't always understand it. And that's certainly true. But God does. 
And so we find that sin has untraceable routes sometimes. It sneaks in. You think about the fact in the garden as we, as we read through this and uh, uh, the way of an eagle in the air and the way of a serpent upon the rock. And, and Eve is there in the garden and, and all of a sudden the serpent just kind of slithers down the branch and says, hey, did you see this over there? And, and turns her attention and before she even realizes what is going on, the, the temptation has snuck in and, and already started to, uh, to work on her and to cause her to look at, at things that God said, hey, don't drink of that, don't eat of that, uh, don't touch it and stay away from that. And, and we find that the devil slithered right in and it was untraceable and sometimes the world thinks, uh, you know, they don't recognize temptation when it comes. But the Bible tells us that, hey, we ought to be aware. He says in 1 Peter 5, 8, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour. And we need to be aware of the temptation and the way that it would uh, come right into our lives and the way that it would present itself. And it's not going to label itself as, hey, this is sin, beware of that. No, it often comes in in a form uh, that, that is untraceable. And you say, oh, that doesn't seem too bad. Oh, that doesn't seem too bad. And every time, oh, that doesn't seem too bad. And a step further away and a step further away until you look around and you say, how did I get way over here? What is going on in my life? And he's talking about untraceable uh, routes. And that's what, he's, uh, that, that's what I take out of verse number 19 with the eagle, the serpent, and the ship, and, and the way of a man with a maid. And then he goes in verse 20, and he's talking about the sin of adultery uh, in verse 20. And so uh, I think that's untraceable. Uh, sometimes it sneaks up and it, and it uh, comes in, and, and each step is a step away. We need to be aware of those things. So we have unsatisfied uh, things. We have um, untraceable things that can be seen. I want you to see as well in verse 21, as we'll continue down through the next set, he says, for three things the earth is disquieted, and for four which it cannot bear. For a servant when he reigneth, and a fool when he is filled with meat, for an odious woman when she is married, and an handmaid that is heir to her mistress. And then he goes on in verse 24 to another set of four, so he does not attach another verse to this. But, uh, uh, but I think as we look at this, there are unseemly results that are given. Uh, you look there in the beginning of verse 21, he says, For three things the earth is disquieted, and for four which it cannot bear. Now, disquieted would be that, uh, that a hush would fall over it and everyone would be like, did that just happen? Where um, occasionally I'll go to, to a ball game and if you ever go to a, uh, inside uh, to a basketball game or a volleyball game or even at a stadium, you know, there's all kinds of noise that takes place. But it's amazing how when, when they're playing the sports, people are cheering and this and that. And, and, but, but when a player falls down, it's like the entire place goes, and there's no noise. And everyone's, watched, everyone's eyes are fixed on that one person. They're saying, is he hurt? Is he going to get back up? And, and, and the whole place goes into a hush and goes into a quiet. And if you look at verse 21, for there are three things, the earth is disquieted. That the earth and the people of the earth would go, 
That's weird. Did that really just happen? And he lists them here for us, and he gives us those four things. The first one, and some of these don't, uh, uh, maybe don't, don't ring as well with us, or maybe they're uh, harder to understand, but you look there at verse 22. He says, for a servant when he reigneth. And we talked about this in Proverbs before. I should have jotted the verse down, but uh, uh, where, when a servant is exalted to be in charge of something. And, uh, and that doesn't happen very often. And, and when it does, it's like, well, that's abnormal. Well, that's odd. And the world would be hushed and would be quieted uh, because that's something that's not very, uh, very normal. Uh, look at the next one. The next one we can certainly understand. And a fool when he is filled with meat. How many times do we read that a foolish person would not be satisfied or a fool would not succeed or a fool would not make it in life, but, but we find here that it says uh, that a fool would be filled. And everyone would be like, did that really just happen? That guy just got uh, what, 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 the, what we wouldn't think he would get? And a fool is satisfied, per se, or he is filled with uh, food that he would get. And it's unseemly results. In other words, something that, uh, that, that doesn't seem like it would really happen. The 23, verse number 23, something also we can understand. For an odious woman, that would be a hateful woman. When she is married, in other words, somebody who is unkind and not very nice and not very pleasant to be around, and, and, and all of a sudden she gets married and everyone's like... Did she just get married? And it's unseemly. It's like, how did that happen? And we didn't expect that to happen. And uh, how on earth did that, that take place? And when I, when I read that, I, of course, thought of Jezebel in the Old Testament. Uh, Jezebel and Ahab. And I thought, well, how did that happen? Uh, you know, because she seems like she was kind of the hateful woman. And she would fit that, uh, that analogy. And, and then he goes on in, in verse 23 there, and he, and he gives us one more, and he says and a handmaid that is heir to her mistress. In other words, uh, a handmaid would be like a servant that would inherit all the wealth of her boss. And uh, again, that's something that's unnatural. Uh, I did write that verse down. Here it is. It says, uh, Proverbs 19.10, talking about the fool. Delight is not seemly for a fool, much less for a servant to have rule over princes. So it's actually two of those things, a fool uh, not having delight and then a servant not having rule over, over princes. And so we find that the, the examples that he's giving are, are like, those are things that should not take place. Those are things that people look at and they say, well, that's strange. How did that happen? Or why did that happen? And, and there's things that, uh, that he's saying, hey, we don't understand and... Uh, and as we look at these, um, it's much like the, uh, the, the unrighteous generation uh, that would think themselves better than they are. Uh, to tie it back, I was looking for correlation between that and the generations that we looked at last week. And, and, and some of them correlate and some of them do not. I don't know if they, he meant to tie them all in together or if they were separate. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, you look at it and sometimes uh, things happen and you say, well, that's weird. wonder why that happened. And it's unlikely or unseemly results. And though it does happen on occasion, uh, it's maybe the uh, exception and not the rule. 
And so, uh, as we look at these things, we can certainly see uh, the unseemly results. And so, uh, that takes place. And, uh, and so, as we look at it, we say, man, uh, you know, does that mean God's not in heaven? No, it doesn't mean that God's not in heaven. It means sometimes things happen. And God allows them to happen. Why did God allow uh, Ahab and, and Jezebel to live so long and to reign in Israel? Well, I don't know. I'm sure God had his purposes. Why did God allow Judas Iscariot to walk with him three and a half years? I don't know. I'm sure God had his purposes. Uh, and you see things that don't make sense, and you see them in Scripture, and you see them even in our life, and you say, well, why did that take place? Or what is going on? And sometimes things happen, and sometimes we don't always understand things, but understand this, that God's ways are higher than our ways. God's thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And so though we may not understand them all, and it might be unseemly results, uh, understand that, uh, that God is still on the throne and that God is still God. And sometimes there'll be some things that we don't understand. Maybe we can't see the whole picture. But God is, is still in control and God is still in charge of everything. And so don't lose faith in God because we see some unseemly things that take place in, in our lifetime or in uh, Bible times. Sometimes those things happen and sometimes we won't understand it all. But when we get to heaven, we'll have a clear knowledge of all that takes place. And so we have some unexpected things as we look at this. We have the uh, unsatisfied, uh, I put results of sin. I, we have the untraceable route of sin. And then the unseemly results sometimes that seems as though uh, the unrighteous are profiting and the unrighteous are doing well. But just understand that God's still in control and God's still on the throne. And so we can understand that. And we can certainly trust in the Lord. All right? With every head bowed and every eye closed as we stand to our feet. We'll have a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you, Father, for your word. God, I pray that you would help us as we look and we study some of these things. And God, I pray that you'd give us understanding for some of these things. And God, we certainly thank you that you give us your word that we can we can see clearly in the world. We can understand many things. And God, where we can't, we ask that you'd help us to trust you and help us to keep our faith pinned clearly on you. And God, will thank you for that. God, I pray that you would just speak to hearts as only you can and help us to be wise in this world. And we'll thank you for it. In Jesus' precious name, I pray. Amen. As we have a short hymn of invitation, if God spoke in your heart, the altar's open. Maybe there's things that you don't understand. I know there's certainly things I don't always understand.
we'll bring our invitation to a close. A couple things I need to announce really quick. Uh, on, on Friday, we are going to have a memorial service right here at the church at 4 o'clock for Ann Hubner. And so I just want to make you aware of that. Um, and then to all ladies, 7th grade and up, if you would like to attend a ladies retreat at Mansfield Baptist Temple, sign up by February 18th. Uh, the price is $30. Uh, Kathy will be registering online. Everyone who wishes to attend as a group, uh, you can pay by giving to the church office or putting it in an envelope marked Ladies Retreat. And so see my wife back, uh, see my wife about that. Is there a sign-up sheet on the back table? They need to see you. Okay, there's papers back there that you can fill out and then you can see my wife if you have any questions on that Ladies Retreat at Mansfield Baptist Temple. Uh, that is on February you need to sign up on February, by February 18th, um, and she'll have the information on that. So, uh, so if you need, want any information, talk to my wife. And then, uh, and then we need to clean the